0: As we go to God's word, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, by your spirit, through the word, send out your light and truth and let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then we will come to Christ crucified, to the son of God, our exceeding joy, and we will praise you, O triune God, our God. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to begin our reading together um, at verse 14, Luke chapter 22, beginning our reading at verse 14 and reading through verse 20. And we'll also be considering Lord's Day 29 together as well that we read for our confession. So Luke chapter 22 beginning at verse 14 and this is God's word. Let's pay careful attention to it. And when the hour came he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, Well, we've been going through in our study of the catechism and understanding the sacraments together, thinking about Um, both baptism and now the Lord's Supper and thinking through these things together. uh, We've noticed a pattern in the catechism as it's taught us to try to get us to understand the basics of the sacraments and then to recognize that there are some difficult questions that we need answering when it comes to the sacraments and so trying to help us clarify our understanding, to grow in our understanding of what these things mean, uh, to deepen our knowledge and answer our potential questions. Um, And we know so that we've gotten to recognize, hopefully, that this is the pattern of the catechism, to teach the basics of the doctrine, and then to clarify um, some of those things about the sacraments. And so we've moved into kind of the clarification portion of talking about the Lord's Supper, um, and that's something we probably need help clarifying. Um, If if we're anything like the the history of the church, uh, we need help understanding these things. Uh, this has been something that's been very difficult to understand. What exactly did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body? Uh, my, my dad has said before that uh, Bill Clinton was not the first person to ask the question, what is the meaning of is? That um, that has been something that's been debated a lot in the history of the Christian church. What, what exactly did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body? And what we're really asking when we ask that question is, how is the thing we see before us connected to the reality it signifies? Um, So we have the sign always we talk about in the sacrament, and we have the thing signified that we always talk about in the sacrament. And the question is, how does God affect that sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified? Uh, What does it mean to us when Jesus says, this is my body. And of course, that's created a lot of controversy in the history of the church, a lot of uncertainty, um, and we probably should say a lot of bad doctrine. Um, there have been a variety of ways people have approached this question. The traditional Roman Catholic view is to say what Jesus really meant was this becomes my body. Um, and that in a very real sense, the body and blood, the, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, You treat it as if it is his body and blood. You can worship it as if it's his body and blood. It really becomes his body and blood. Um, It still looks like bread. It still tastes like bread. But it's really and truly the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the view that we tend to call transubstantiation. That the elements become the body of Christ. And therefore to eat the elements is to eat Christ himself. Um, There's no separation between those things. Whoever eats the bread is eating the body of Christ. Whoever drinks the cup is drinking the body of Christ. That's how the the sign and the thing signified are connected. This becomes my body. Um, There's also been the the Lutheran point of view, which is more to say this accompanies my body. Um, That the bread and the wine don't become the body and blood of Christ in in a sort of transubstantiation way. They don't change over, but... Christ's real body and blood are there with the bread, um, with the wine. They might say in, with, and under these things. And so it doesn't become Christ's body, but Christ's body accompanies it. He's locally present where the signs are, where the bread and wine are. Um, and so to partake of those things is to partake of the body and blood of Christ. There that, that eating is a real eating. He's really there in, with, and under the bread and the wine. And of course, reacting to that at the time of the Reformation were Zwinglians who said, "No, what Jesus meant was this memorializes my body. Um, This merely remembers my body. Um, And so the the body and the bread and wine don't in any way become the body and blood of Christ, but they point us to the body and blood of Christ. And so in that way, it's a memorial. It's a remembering of what Christ did for sinners." Um, and so some people have said it's a bare memorial. I think that's maybe a little unfair uh, to our Swiss Reform brothers and sisters. Um, as one person said, some of Zwingli's statements point to a deeper significance of the sacrament and regard it as a seal or pledge of what God does for the believer in Christ. Um, yet he doesn't really follow through with this idea. It remains really a memorial of what God had done. And as we look at this, are any of those things what Jesus said in this passage? Um, When we look at Luke 22, is this what Jesus means to teach us, any of these sorts of things? And we want to say, no, what Jesus is clearly teaching us there is that he's saying, this signifies my body and blood. Clearly the Lord who is saying it is not the bread, right? Because he's there with his disciples, but he's clearly meaning to teach them something important about how the bread and wine signify his body and blood, that there is a real connection to the Lord who is making this sacrament for his people. And so we have tended to make sure that we continue to stress not only the the sign that is there, but how we are attached to the things that it signifies, how the Lord really comes to to be present in the sacrament with his people. Um, so that it signifies his body and blood and brings us into mystical communion with our Lord and Savior. Um, And the real advantage of the way that we look at this word and consider what happens in the sacrament is unlike so many of those other theories that try to figure out how do we bring Christ down from heaven to the table, we recognize as we read... Luke 22, what is the Lord promising to do? He's promising to come and take those who are at the table and lift them up by His Spirit into His heavenly throne room. That that's the way these things become signs and seals to us that really bring us into the presence of our our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. That the Spirit is operating to bring us into union and communion with Christ. Um, It's a sign for us, it's meant to teach us something, but it's meant to do more and also to assure us of what God has done for the believing participant. It's not what we do for God in the sacrament. The sacraments are there to remind us what God has done for us, uh, to bring us into fellowship with what he has done for us by his son, to bring us into real communion with the Lord Jesus Christ that it's by this sign he wants it closely connected to who he is so that we become assured by this sign uh, that God's pledge to us as believers is that as surely as we partake in these things, we have forgiveness of sins on account of what Christ has done. We have title to heaven on account of what Christ has done. We have the assurance that we we are in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and will continue in communion with him. As one commentator put it, the virtues and effects of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross are present and actually conveyed to the believer and received by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's what's happening in the sacrament, and we don't want to lose that connection. So um, why that big introduction um, to the sort of sweeping history of sacramental theory, is just to show you that I do occasionally do some studying before I get up here and talk to you. Um, no, the, the point of all that is to say, it reminds us there are two great dangers in the history of the church when it comes to the sacraments. Um, one is that we, we so distinguish between the elements and the reality that we, we start to lose the connection. Um, and that one thing is very important in the sacraments is that we not lose that connection. Um, And so we want to make sure that the sign and the thing signified remain appropriately connected to one another so we don't lose the true significance and the glory of what God has given us in the supper. Um, But the other error in the history of the church is these things become so connected that they blur distinctions that one thing turns into another thing, and we get that wrong. And so one of the things we have to do in looking at the Lord's Supper is make sure that we clarify the distinction, that we maintain the proper boundaries between the sign and the thing signified, but that we do so without losing the connection. And that's really in a nutshell what this Lord's Day is all about, is trying to help us as God's people clarify the distinction between the bread and wine and the body and blood of our Lord and not blur those things. Uh, Make sure we maintain the connection between what God wants us to see and the sign and the thing signified. Um, And so that's what we want to do as we think about what our Lord said and what this sacrament represents to us, to clarify the distinction between the sign and the thing signified but maintain the connection Um, And so we don't lose the the effect of what our Lord says when He says, This is my body. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Um, That's what we want to do to clarify the distinction uh, between the sign and the thing signified. That's why question 78 asks the important question Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? Uh, Do they transform into those things? And the answer, of course, is no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the Holy Bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. In some ways, this is a remedial catechism question. Um, This is the kind of question you should like, boys and girls, because what it does is remind you of what you've already learned. Um, Because when it came to baptism, we asked the question, does the water of baptism wash away my sins? Um, And we said, no, it's not the water that washes away sins, it's the blood and spirit of Christ that wash away sins. And we're doing the same thing here, is saying, "Do, do the bread and wine really become the body and blood of Christ? Well, no. Um, It's Christ's body that was broken on the cross that is our hope for salvation. It's his blood that was poured out as a sacrifice for sinners. That's where our hope is found. It's found in the real sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross. And the bread and the wine don't become those things. Um, They are divine signs and assurance of those things, but they don't become those things. And so we need to make sure that we remember that. Divine signs, divine assurance, that's what the sacraments are all about. Signs that point us to realities and seals or a divine assurance that those realities are true and not just true in a general sense, but true for us. We talked about that last time. It's the importance of not just seeing these things, but participating in them. We don't just see the bread broken and the wine that's been poured out. We we participate in them. We come and we receive them from the hand of the Lord. We partake of them, and they become ours. Not ours in a general way, but ours in a a very personal way. And that's teaching us something very important, that they are are signs for us, but they're also assuring us that we are partakers in the things that are signified there. So they are not the body and blood, but they point us to the body and blood. That's what the the sacraments are always doing. Those are the two main questions we always have to ask. What is being signified to me in this sacrament? What is God meaning to teach me in this sacrament? Um, And that's simple. It's meant to be simple. God has used simple things for us. Um, it's probably a testimony to, to our own sinfulness and the deceitfulness of sin that we've managed to make it so complicated over the history of the church, something that God meant to make, take ordinary and simple things and, clear, and teach us simple and clear truths, right? Like we said in baptism, what, what is essentially God teaching us there? You know how water washes you when you're dirty? We all could say, mm-hmm, I'm with you so far. Well, so do the blood and spirit of Christ do that for a dirty soul. They wash away the pollution of our souls. Uh, they bring us to newness of life. The Lord is using something simple. Bread and wine were simple things that they knew and understood. Those were staples of their daily diet. Right? In the ancient world, you couldn't always get meat for dinner. Your staples were bread and wine and oil. And Christ is using things that they would have had in a common way. And say, when you eat a meal, do you eat bread and drink wine? And when you've eaten that meal, are you nourished by the meal you eat? Does it feed you? Right, again, not complicated questions. Um, If I ask you, is dinner meant to feed you? That's not a trick question. Right, and these are not meant to be trick questions. They're meant to be simple pictures And what God is doing by this is saying, you know, you have two kinds of life. You have a physical life that is fed by physical food, and you understand how that works. You understand that the food feeds you, and because you're fed by it and you eat it, your body makes use of it. And in a beautiful way, what God comes and does and says, now you're reminded by this that you have another kind of life. That you aren't just a physical life, you're also a spiritual life. And a spiritual life requires a spiritual feeding. Um, This is the genius of what's taught in Belgic Confession, Article 35, uh, that that beautifully summarizes this reality for us in a very simple way that we can understand. Uh, The Belgic Confession says, now those who are born again have two lives in them. One is physical and temporal. They have it from the moment of birth and it's common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly and is given to them in their second birth. It comes through the word of the gospel and the communion of the body of Christ and this life is common to God's elect only. Thus to support the physical and earthly life God has prescribed for us an appropriate earthly and material bread which is as common to all life as life itself also is. But to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers he has sent a living bread that came down from heaven namely Jesus Christ who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when eaten, that is, when appropriated and received spiritually by faith. That's such an important thing for us to remember, uh, that we have two kinds of lives, and those two lives are fed by two kinds of food. And just as you need physical food to live, you need the body and blood of Christ to live spiritually. And so what the Lord's Supper wants to teach us is we have to maintain the distinction and recognize that the bread and wine that we eat and drink are not the physical body and blood of Christ. But they are so closely connected to those things that we don't want to lose that connection either. Right? the end of the question, the first question we read talks about the fact there's a reason the sacraments talk the way they talk. Because it wouldn't have the same punch to us it wouldn't bring us the same assurance in our lives if jesus said to us this might be my body this may become my body because what would it be to say that to us this may nourish you to eternal life and it might not and is that what God wants for his people? Does he want to leave us in any doubt about the things that he provides for us, about the efficacy of the work of Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus did not come into the world to be a potential savior. Right? He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to make salvation possible. He came to save. And what the sacrament is emphasizing is Christ has been crucified for sinners. And just as he meant it when he said, it is finished, he means it when he says, this is my body. This is true food and true drink unto life eternal. And that's what the catechism means in the last part of that first question when it says, that's the nature of the language of sacraments because god wants to teach us it's very important that we be taught by the sacraments but he has an even more important purpose in them that they are tools by which we are assured that we are assured by our god that we will be saved that we are assured by our god that his food is true that his body and his blood are true food and true drink unto life eternal. That's why when we preach Christ crucified, we don't preach it as a possibility. He died, and maybe that saved you from your sins. That would be a gospel that would hardly be worth calling good, and it would be a message that certainly weren't be, wouldn't be worth coming back to listen to on a Sunday night. That is not the message of the gospel, The message of the gospel is Christ has died for sinners. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you have forgiveness of sins. You've been cleansed from your sins. You've been delivered from the wrath of God. You've been given Christ and all of his benefits. You are an heir of eternal life and righteous before God. Now, and even though your conscience is telling you, but wait, I'm still a great sinner, that's true. And even though my conscience is testifying against me that I still grievously sin against all of God's commands, that's true. But it doesn't make what Christ has done any less true. It doesn't make him less of a savior, that you are a great sinner. Um, There is value in the death of the Son of God sufficient to put out whatever you've done. And he wants us to be assured that his death is just as effective for us as food that nourishes our bodies. Just as you don't wash and wonder whether you'll be clean, and you don't eat and wonder whether you'll be nourished, so you should not come to the Lord Jesus Christ and wonder if you'll be saved. He's telling you you will be. He's assuring you you will be. Just as surely as you know the food you eat nourishes you so surely you can know that the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood will be food and drink to your eternal life. That just when you eat and drink of the Lord Jesus Christ with, with, with faith, with, with the, which the Belgic Confession beautifully calls the hand and mouth of the soul, right, when we hear that, we understand that Jesus is true food and drink unto life eternal. We should be like the crowds and say, "Give us this food." Right? Jesus said, "Moses sent bread, got bread from heaven, and you ate. Your fathers ate, but they died in the wilderness. But there is a bread that you can eat and never be hungry again." And what do they say to him? "Give us this food always." Right? Th- this is what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Supper. You have this food always. I am your food. I am the bread of life. He who eats of me lives forever. That's what's being taught to us in the supper. And God wants us to understand that just as really as we are doing those things, it's so real as the reality that happened on the cross. Just as real as his death on the cross is, so really is our participation in it. So that we're assured so that we're not left in doubt. That's why the the first part of the second question says, you know, he does want to teach us by the sacrament. It's important that we be taught by the sacrament. But he wants to do something greater and better and more helpful for us than just teach us, and that's to assure us. It's interesting that the the catechism question says, but more important. It's almost more important to be Assured than just taught. We need to be assured. And what do we need to be assured of? That by this visible sign and pledge that we through the Holy Spirit's work share in his true body and blood. As surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. We can, be assu- we can be just as assured that his sacrifice is ours as if we had sacrificed ourselves. You just have to go with me and assume we could do something like that, which we can't, but for the purpose of argument just between us tonight, let's just think about that. It's just as truly ours as if we died a death on the cross. It's just as truly ours as if we'd lived a perfectly obedient life. That's what Christ wants us to be assured by that these things are really ours by faith. That his death on the cross was a death for us, a death that we participate in, a death that is ours and that has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Right? So that we understand that we are forgiven that we are assured by the things we do of the reality that we possess. That's why we have to do this repeatedly. Because we're a forgetful people. We're, we're a people who are easily shaken off of our assurance. Maybe you have that experience of you know, studying something or reading in your Bible and being close to the Lord in your prayer life and you feel like life is really going well and you have a piece of the soul and you have a, a feeling of being in close communion with your God and then life interferes and things interfere with that peace and communion and you seem to lose the thread and you say to yourself, I can't seem to find the peace that I was having just a few months ago. And, and where did it go? And does that mean that I was once in fellowship with my God and now I'm not in fellowship with my God? How am I going to react to that? How am I going to understand that? Do you see how important it is that our Lord comes to us again and again and says, come to this table and let me teach you something and let me assure you again of something that's true that the death of Christ is just as effective for you as if you'd died that death. That his perfect life is just as much as yours as if you'd lived that perfect life. And you can be just as assured that what is his is yours as you are assured that bread and wine nourish you. Just as that nutritional equation is not rocket science, so the spiritual equation is not meant to be rocket science. He died for sinners. He died to save. He died to give us what we need. And he reminds us in the supper, we don't just need saving, we need assurance that we're saved. We need to be reminded again and again that these things are truly ours. They're just as truly ours as if we'd accomplished them ourselves. And it's through faith by the work of the Holy Spirit that we are brought into communion with the Lord who is true food and drink to life eternal. We, we become present there at his table. He's present there with us. Um, and he's assuring us every time we come to that table, just as if we were in the Last Supper hearing that from his lips as one of his disciples. This is my body and it's for you. This is my blood, and it's for you. It's true food and true drink unto life eternal. We need that. So we don't need to apologize for the language of the sacraments. Um, We've been so good at explaining what Jesus really meant when he said, this is my body, that we can sometimes lose sight of the fact that Jesus said, this is my body. And why did he say that? Because he wanted us to be sure. He wanted us to be assured by what he was teaching us that these things are true and they're true for us. The the eating and drinking of the bread and wine is a receiving of Christ into ourselves by the Holy Spirit. And the life-giving power of the Lord, the nourishment that there is in him, enters into us and into the flesh and blood of the Christian. Um, Do we have that assurance when we come to the Lord's table. We should be just as assured when we hear the word preached that that word is for us. Right? We preach the word and we say, you believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now you, all of you, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that table testifies the same thing to us. That his body and his blood are true food and drink for your eternal life. What is his becomes ours just as really as that food becomes ours. Um, we want to maintain that close connection so we don't lose the union and communion we have with our Lord Jesus Christ in that supper. So just because, I hope we see that just because you, you say the bread and wine don't become the body and blood of Christ, that in no way cheapens what happens at the sacrament. That in no way changes what's signified to God's people as it teaches us that just as surely as bread and wine nourish the body, so the, blo- the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ nourish our souls to eternal life. It teaches us that, but it also assures us it's yours. He died for sinners, but he died for you. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I hope you have that assurance If you don't, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's still as much of a savior today as he's ever been. And then come to the Lord's table and be reminded and assured of what our Lord has done for us and that what he's done for us is ours. That his cup is the new covenant in his blood that assures us of eternal life. May we always maintain that proper distinction without losing that vital and precious connection. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sacrament of our Lord. We thank you for the clarity of his teaching when he says, this is my body and this is my blood. Lord, we thank you once again for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only ground of our salvation, that we put our faith and trust in what he has done and that that sacrifice is sufficient. So help us always to remember what the sign you've given us teaches us, that just as surely as we see the bread broken and the cup poured out, that our Lord's body was broken on the cross and his blood was poured out as a remission for our sins. And just as surely as we are given that bread and given that cup and eat and drink, and by which our bodily lives are nourished, so surely the Lord Jesus Christ will nourish our souls to eternal life. We thank you for this assurance. Help to build us up in the faith when we participate in the supper. Help us to use it aright by faith to remind us again and again of the great possession that is ours in Christ. That you look on us and reckon as if everything he has done was ours. How thankful we are for that. Help us to cling all the more closely to him and glorify him for his work. Help us in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.